Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 58, now with more Chrome, recorded June 24th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back to me, everybody. Hey, Mark. Welcome back. <laughs> oh, and Aaron. Welcome back to Aaron. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, as I'm sure you know, if you're a regular listener to the show, I've been away for a couple of weeks while I relocate myself from uh, uh, Texas to Georgia. I have moved in, literally moved in with my friend Aaron Butler, the former fat guy. As you can see, if you're watching the live stream, we are now uh, literally in the same room, side by side. Mark. I'm, yes. These aren't spirit fingers. These are spirit fingers. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, so, Bring it on, Aaron. Bring it on. Aaron's back. <laughs> we, uh, I am staying with him temporarily until I find my own place to live. He moved me to Georgia, uh, figuratively, if not entirely literally. Uh, and so here I am. Uh, and Chris and Seth have been holding down the fort for me and probably still will continue to be. I'm not going to say I'm going to be back every week for a while. Uh, but uh, welcome back, Chris Neves, the command line godfather. Hello, everyone. And Seth Anderson, the gooey kid. Hiya, Seth. Hey, everybody. And I sort of sprung this on on Chris and uh, uh, what's the other guy's name? Seth. Uh, about uh, mid-afternoon today and said, hey, Aaron and I are going to be with you. Uh, but before they knew that, they already had an outstanding guest lined up. And that is your friend and mine, Steve McLaughlin, the door-to-door geek. Hiya, Steve. Hello, all. How's everybody doing? Well, so far, so good. good. Lots of moving pieces, lots of moving parts. <laughs> the studio cam may have put us over the top. We're not sure yet. Yeah, so if, if you're wondering why I'm surrounded by uh, comic books, that's because I'm in the home of comic book fan number one, that's Mr. Me. Aaron Butler. Uh, so this week we have stuff to talk about. I don't really know. I wasn't in any way prepared with the uh, involved with the preparations of the show. Uh, I'm not prepared to host it. I just showed up. So, uh, you guys, well, our go. first topic was going to be a quick update on Mark. So since you're here, Mark, <laughs> why don't you take that? Well, let Not me tell you, you kind of haven't already in the last eight days, starting with last Saturday, I have been to six states. I've, I've had boots on the ground in six states. I have flown across another eight. Probably. Or so. Yeah. Uh, I land, I, I rolled up to, uh, uh, Aaron's door here in Georgia on Sunday afternoon, one week ago today, um, unpacked the trailer that I had brought with me, uh, piled up into his guest bedroom and pretty much collapsed from exhaustion. The very next day, I started my first day of work at uh, <laughs> Piedmont Healthcare in Atlanta, Georgia. The The next day, I actually went to my office. First day, I was in uh, at orientation all day. So I went to my office, had a half a day there, and then I had to go do some things. And the next that, that night, Tuesday night, I was on a plane headed to Madison, Wisconsin uh, for three days of training. I didn't come back until last night, Saturday night, and I'm back here now. So that, that was my first week away from Everyday Linux. And I would just like to say, welcome to Piedmont. <laughs> <laughs> Let the games begin. <clears throat> so there's Sounds the quick like update on Mark. Time there, Mark. Yeah, I'm exhausted. Yeah, now that you work in a cube, Dilbert will become even more funny to you. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've often said I don't get cube humor, uh, but now I am a cube dweller. I live in a very small. Actually, for a cube, it's not that. That's pretty small, nice cube. Uh, yeah. But it's still small compared to the office I used to have, and uh, and I'm having to get used to the fact that. 
I I can't make anything louder than a whisper, and, and everybody around me uh, won't hear it. It was you, you. You don't have to worry about that. They're used to me, Mark. They're used to me <laughs> walking down the hall and singing and hollering, "Hey, Randy!" Yeah. From you know five cubes down, and so I've set the bar pretty low as far as cube etiquette. Um, I'm professional when I need to be, but when I'm with my own team in my own area, you know, we get pretty relaxed. So as long as we're not so, bothering the other teams around us. First day on the job, uh, there were two of us who were given laptops. We're going to be mobile. Uh, the rest of the team has desktops with dual monitor setups, and and uh, the IT guy. It's so weird not being the IT guy, but I'm not. Um, you're in IT yeah, guy. I'm in IT. You're not the field support guy. Right. That's what we call them there, field support. Field support. So uh, the field support brings me uh, a laptop and a docking station and uh, sets it down and says, uh, we'll have somebody here to, to install that later. I kind of shrugged and said, I'll do it. And it was like I had just threatened to kill the queen or something. Everybody looked at me like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> that ain't your job. <laughs> so I started unboxing it and putting things up. And it, you, you've seen it in movies, right? The prairie dogging thing that people do. They heard boxes ripping open. They all popped up. What are you doing? I'm setting up my computer. We don't do that here. <laughs> I spent 15 years as, a, as an IT professional. I can set up a laptop. I'm okay. Trust me. Nothing's going to blow up. No, I wasn't there, but I, I, I suspect that Mark may be mildly exaggerating for comedic and theatrical effect. But would I do that? No. Ever? Never. Would I ever do that? Mark? You would never do that. And I'm <laughs> not doing never. it right now either. <laughs> no, but it, it wasn't quite uh, that big, but it was some, some odd looks. And a couple people literally did say, why are you doing that? Yeah. And I said, because I know how. Well, our team is um, the team that Mark's on, and which is closely affiliated with my team, is a mixture of IT professionals, people who have had IT background like myself and Mark, nurses, and actual practice manager. You know, uh, you know, boots in the ground, front desk, uh, business office type people, because the application that we support touches all those pieces. So you got to have a kind of a mixture of skills. So there's some people. There's one girl, girl. She's ten years older than me. One lady, Mark, on our team, one of the trainers that until last year. I would always set her projector up for her. <laughs> Literally. Aaron, I'm doing a little presentation. Can you come up and set the projector up? You realize, Susie, that's not a real name. It's actually Kathy. Kathy, <laughs> that you just plug the cable that only go in the one spot on this one thing and the other spot of the other thing, and you turn it on, and it'll, it'll just work. I know, but I'd feel more comfortable if you did. <laughs> okay, I'll come set it up for you. That sounds typical. Mm-mm. So uh, <clears throat> I've been a little bit out of touch. But what I understand is that Microsoft had a very big, not-so-big announcement this week. Anybody care to take that one? Poop. <laughs> well, I was just going to wonder. I uh, put the link in the show. And I was just wondering what everybody thought of it. It seems like, um, you know, of course, obviously, there isn't a tablet for me to see. But it seems like it's a pretty nice tablet. And Whereas Apple just gives you a tablet and then you have to spend all the money to get the case and the screen cover and all that to go with it, Microsoft kind of bundles that all together. Well, the way I understand it, there are two models. There's the iPad-like model that's just a tablet, and then there's the the more expensive model that's essentially a laptop uh, with uh, even a uh, built-in sort of floppy keyboard sort of thing. Uh, Right. And so that one is like $1,600 or something. Well, here's the big difference that I got from it. The cheap one is nothing more than just a normal tablet. The pro one, the big expensive one, that one you'll actually be able to wirelessly connect it to a domain. Right, because it's Windows 8. It's running Windows 8. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. So it's going to be, dare I say, what enterprise is going to first see as the first acceptable tablet to be on their network. Now you'll remember yeah. uh, Microsoft had branded the term Surface before with the with the table. Everybody remember yeah. the the, mm-hmm. the uh, yeah. what my friend uh, Ronnie used to call Microsoft's big ass table. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he said you can have you can have a computer uh, or for five times more you can have a big ass table. Um, and so they've they've trying to rebrand that into the handheld tablet instead. Well, you don't have to yeah. you don't have to copyright it. I think they're kind of a little late, um, but we'll see. It's interesting the form factor of it because it's look it's got the widescreen format. You're looking right. at the pictures; it's kind of interesting. Either that or I have my I'll resolution just, set wrong on my monitor. One of the two. Well, and then I'll just say I'm not shocked that during the presentation it failed and they had to hurry up and get a second one. Well, uh, to be fair, Steve Jobs' iPad crashed during his presentation well, too. To me, that's not fair. Whoa. That just shows pro that those businesses care more about hurrying it up and getting right. it out the door rather than making an actual good product i'm just you know I, i'm not an uh, being the apple fanboy that i am you I are an sure apple fanboy. Well, sean's not here representing you point that out so uh <laughs> you obviously have a thing against apple pointing out their flaws right. Shame on you. i can run down and grab my phone real fast and show everybody the blue screen of death i got at mcdonald's <laughs> one time at the drive-thru i actually have the blue screen for mcdonald's myself pretty funny so i you know i'll certainly uh um uh, poke at a Windows Surface tablet uh, when I see one at Best Buy or whatever, but uh, it's not something that just made me super excited. Yeah, no, I'm not me I'll either. Say, I- I'm looking forward to actually building my own machine this summer sometime, so yeah, I don't think I'm going to look towards a tablet anytime soon. And I think most IT in general is just sort of going to skip over Windows 8. They're just now adopting Windows 7. And those that will at all will will move from XP to Windows 7. Or they may just move from XP to Windows 9, whatever that is. Uh, but I think Windows 8 is dead in the enterprise. It's or if they listen to the us, enterprise. they'll move from XP to Linux. So <laughs> There you uh-huh. go. Yeah, I'll say I hate saying it like this, but I agree with what a lot of people say. Tablets are functionally limited to a degree to where they're not really as functional as they should be and i hate saying it but this windows tablet is going to make it more acceptable to be an actual functioning device actually doing more than just streaming content or playing really bad games right it's it's a pc it's a real pc right and i hate saying it but windows 8 isn't for me you or enterprises it's for the large percentage of the planet that doesn't like to use a computer i think microsoft is trying to get those people to be more comfortable giving them money all right moving on from that money and a lot of it right yeah uh moving on from that somebody tell me why the title of this show is now with more chrome (laughs) well i broke down and i installed the chrome browser uh, on my computer this week, simply so I could put the lower third and that awesome picture of me uh, in the Google Hangout because you couldn't do it with Internet Explorer. It just it would not work. So I installed Chrome, and from the looks of the bottom thirds, it looks like most everybody else is using it too. So now with more Chrome, I like Chrome. I've been on Chrome pretty much exclusively at home for the last two years. Two. I don't really like it. It's just more. I of thought a, we could be friends. Seth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have I'll it because it. I wanted to do this lower third thing, but um, I like Firefox, um, and so that's yeah. that's I like Jamie. 
<laughs> Firefox is still my go-to browser, uh, but I find myself working in Chrome a lot because I'm, I'm, uh, I have been. I don't know that I can say I am anymore. Uh, well versed in the Google uh, universe, Google Docs, Gmail, that sort of stuff, all of which is now blocked at my current employer. Um, so uh, you can yeah. get to Drive is available. Oh, yeah, Gmail is available. I was talking. Google Plus to, is available. I was talking to Aaron just before. Uh, I took the job, and uh, he told me that Gmail was blocked. And no, I, Gmail's and, off. Well, but you had told me that it was. Oh, did I lie to you? He said the Gmail was blocked, and I have to use Outlook. And I was like, I don't know if I can take this job. I seriously, I don't. I'm not sure I can work here. Uh, I, just to be fair, Mark, not not to correct you in front of millions of listeners, but I told you Google Docs is blocked. Gmail's available. You can. I actually have a Gmail notifier at one point installed on my. But what you cannot do at our my office is install Chrome or Firefox. You can install it. And the next day you'll come in and it'll magically be gone. <laughs> portable apps. They have little uh, portable, yeah, portable apps. apps. Right, right, portable right. apps. They have a little troll whose only job is to go around and log into each other, everybody's computer each night and see if it's installed and, and do the ad remove programs. His name's Fred. <laughs> the Fred the troll. Fred. He's a nice guy. Okay, and uh, you guys put this in the notes. I really think this is much ado about nothing, but I'm going to introduce it and let you go. Google reports alarming rise in government censorship requests. Ready, go. Yeah, it was just an article I came across that, uh, I, you know, it seems like more and more the govern- governments, and this is, they talked a lot about the U.S. government, but other governments as well, just coming to Google to take down whether it be YouTube videos or pages or links in their searches. So, uh, and you know, and of course the article comes from the point of view that it, they're not calling it censorship, but that's what it amounts to. And they were talking about the number of requests that they're getting from governments is rising at a very fast rate. So I didn't know if that would be news or warm up or, you know, just something to skip over. Did they specify which governments? Um, like I say, the article was mainly, uh, like in the last half of 2011, U.S. agencies asked Google to remove 6,192 individual pieces of contents from its search result. That's up 718% from the six months prior. So, um, yeah, you know. you know, my rule, I've said it on the show before. Anytime a number is represented as a percent, it's BS. Right. <laughs> Anytime a number is represented as a percent, it's BS. It's like the progress so, bar in any Windows app. What? Right. So yeah, it, it, says- <laughs> it might have gone from 100 or 0.01% to 0.08%, thus a 600% increase, but it's still well, it, nothing. It went from 757 to 6,192, and then they give you the percent. So they gave you the real numbers and didn't just throw a percentage out. Okay. There. All so, right. So there are some actual numbers there. Uh, yeah. Speaking of governments, if you want to get a little uh, political, um, major things happening in Egypt just this weekend. Uh, they elected, a uh, through a democratic electoral process, they elected a totalitarian president. Wow. Um, by a 52% vote. Uh, he wants to invoke uh, Sharia law, the, the Muslim law, and make it the law of, of Egypt. Uh, that's a big deal. That's a scary yeah. thing. Yeah. So you know, when people voluntarily elect to give up their rights, um, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Oh, yeah, I do know what they say about that. It's like flying. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I volunteered to give up my rights a couple of times this weekend, right. or this week, as I was flying. And I, I just... Well, uh, only for a short time. 
A quick shout out to uh, the uh, Madison, Wisconsin uh, TSA agent. Uh, your hands were very soft and supple when you cut my balls. Uh, thank you for, for that. Yeah, Mark, what's the difference between flying and a prostitute? <laughs> I, I don't know. Precisely. Exactly. <laughs> a prostitute is a whole lot less. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Okay. <laughs> Moving oh, okay. right along. Uh, so this is a Linux news heavy uh, set of notes here. And then I think we have some stuff to talk about in GNOME. Uh, so moving right along, Linux grabs its single biggest win. There's just an objective headline if I ever heard one. Ready, go. No kidding. Yeah, the U.S. Navy and Department of Defense um, basically kicked Windows off of their Navy drones and instead are going with a flavor of Linux. So. Uh, it's kind of scary if you think about it that the drones flying were actually running a version of Windows, um, but they went to Linux now to be more secure. I don't. I think we talked about it a few months ago. Um, virus that was found in the drones, um, and so as a, because of that, they're switching over to Linux. And uh, you know, it's a big deal for Linux. It's a big deal for open source. That um, you know, it's one of those things. If the DoD thinks that Linux is mature enough and secure enough to run in their environment, then, you know, it's kind of stupid whenever you talk to these other places and say, oh, well, Linux isn't, you know, Linux isn't good enough to run for us. And go, It's good enough to protect the country, but not good enough for your servers. Uh, okay. What What's that line from um, uh, Armageddon? Uh, we're sitting on top of a 600 million uh, machine with over a billion moving parts uh, constructed by the lowest bidder right something to that effect you know uh, when somebody when the government chooses Linux I have to say they're not doing it for stability but they're doing it for cost savings that's just my uh, pragmatism kicking in there I was gonna say Seth, I, I don't know if I would say that's true too mark I mean that's part of it but I'm sure the other part of it is the fact that they don't have to worry about the that little Windows virus running through their drones so well I, I would say working in government. I'm sure the people doing this stuff, that was their goal, but they had to present it as right. extreme cost savings. Right. So it's it's uh, secure enough to make the savings worthwhile. So, you know, there's a benefit there. You know, who cares how cheap it is uh, if the Chinese get all of our secrets? Wait, that was what Clinton did. Um, uh, never mind. What you yeah, need it, is a Boris box. <laughs> Hey, it's yes. a twenty-eight million dollar contract, so I'm sure they can afford a Boris box here. That's funny. <laughs> Every tank needs a Boris box. But see, now I picture some geek sitting in his basement trying to hack the drone system, right? Because it's open mm-hmm. source code, right? And he's like, "I was, I was on this forum, and well, some guy posted some source code, and I'm going to hack into it." I'll just say, <gasps> the code my that tank's turning <laughs> is not going to be necessarily open source. The OS will, but everything on top it. It wouldn't shock me if we never, ever see it. I hope not. That's true. Just because it's based on open source doesn't mean the end result has to be open source. Right. Right. Yeah. And they they mentioned some of that in the article about, um, uh, here's a a line, even though the DOD's use of open source code will alter the GPL for said code, um, they can't, for obvious reasons, release any code they use and modify back into the wild. This is a huge deal for open source everywhere. So Yeah, so in other words, they said, GPL up yours. We're going to do it because we're the government. Pretty much. Correct. Well, <laughs> Pretty also, much. Seth, just w- want to say, Seth, that 
Uh, I don't know that um, adoption by our government is a is a bar of success as far as well. If it's good enough for the government, it's good enough for us. The government's adopted a lot of policies and plans that were pretty stanky. Yeah, uh, I can't argue with that. Hey, our budget right now. If our budget right now, our national budget is good enough for the government, <laughs> it's good enough for me. Touche. Yeah, we're all. Uh, <laughs> we're being very political here tonight, and that's not our usual way of doing things. I just but, gave a uh, wink and a gun to the studio our, cam. Go ahead, do it again. All right, there we go. <laughs> Hang on a second, I got to turn my light on. Uh, next on the list, KDE becomes more social. Christopher, go. Yes, it does. There's rumors in the the KDE development camp about they're working on a um, for the Google Summer Code projects. Is they're going to give a KDE a more, um, they have a Twitter client that runs as a plasmoid, which is the little applet that runs on the desktop. But right now it only does Twitter. They're going to, they're going to make that more robust and add more, uh, things to it like Google plus and LinkedIn and et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of a neat thing. It, <clears throat> since GNOME doesn't have anything like it right now for me in the, as a KDE guy, I like it. Which brings me to a question. Um, obviously, everybody in the world knows, not everybody, a large majority of the people in the world know that Twitter was down for some time this last week. Was it 40 minutes at one time? And A lot that, longer than that. It was not fixed when they said it was fixed. Uh, yeah. um, so what do you think out there right now, asking this panel of oh-so-savvy technologists, techno-files, uh, what is the one service out there that if it was down would hamstring you the most and or feel like was be the biggest impact on our society? Well, well, those are two different questions. Yes, they are. Yeah. For everybody else, it has to be Facebook. Yep. I would yeah. say that too. Yep. For me, it would or, be Google plus. If Google plus went down, yeah. um, I would, I'd be in a world of hurt. That's where I get a lot of my stuff from. Right. And I'm, and I'm not just limiting it to social apps. I'm talking about any publicly service because for me, it'd be Gmail. Without a doubt, if my Gmail was out for two days, I would be hurting. Yeah, Gmail and Docs would cripple me. Well, yeah. I'll say if, if if my podcast stuff stopped working, I would be an invalid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, Google Plus. We do every show we do on Google Plus, right. so that would certainly have an impact. It's very hard not to just look at you and talk, Mark, since we're in the same room, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's hard it, to is, talk. it is. Yeah, look at the camera, Aaron. Look at the camera. Yeah, I, I was just thinking about that because to me, when Twitter was down, I was like, okay, <laughs> I, it didn't bother me at all. Really, I'm not, I'm much, not, I'm much of a tweeter. So, yeah, I don't use I'm a, my I'm a uh, big, Twitter feed. I'm a big Twitter guy, but it, I'm not that big of a Twitter guy. No, so I didn't say I'm not that much of a twit because that's arguable. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. Thank you, Mark. All right, if you say it, right I'll pull along. the plug. I, ha- I can pull the plug right here. <laughs> I have the gray wire in my hand. There's an Android app that can steal credit card info using near-field communication. Who didn't see this coming, really? Yeah. Yeah, and this was a German security research researcher. He exposed this vulnerability, and he pushed the app up to, uh, what's it called, Google Play Store. Um, and, of course, they since pulled it down, and he also publicly released the... Um, um, he he released it so developers can work publicly on it and get it fixed. So, you know, it's just kind of news that people should be aware of. You know, you use a smartphone, 
I personally, I don't like, and it's only for the cards that like you can swipe and stuff that um, you don't have to, or that you don't have to swipe. You can just kind of hold up next to a machine. Those are the ones that the vulnerability exists at. And I personally, I have never liked them. Um, I'm, I'm almost tinfoil hat guy. I'm like the tinfoil hat guy in training. So um, it's just something to be aware of, you know, just because just because you wouldn't use this app for something or you wouldn't use something in some way doesn't mean there aren't people out there. But just a, a, a word of, of sanity, near field communication, the word near is very important there. We're talking right. inches away. So the guy would have to bump his reader up against you. So it, it'd have to be in like a crowded uh, situation where your phone happened to be trying to near field communicate because they only do that when you tell them to. They're not on all the time. So he, he would, it would really an extenuating set of, set of circumstances would have to happen. They have to trick you into turning mm-hmm. NFC on and then be within an inch or two of you when you did it you know maybe some something along the lines of the people who make the fake credit card covers to go on atm machines you have a little device that's hidden beside the machine that you're swiping your card on or whatever to grab it while you're there and they just grab everybody's for six hours or whatever yeah Yeah. i have a i have a um them buddy that has a uh them phone that's nfc he says he has to physically touch it to get it to activate Mm. but what I don't know is if it's kind of like RFID where most of the time you got to be real close, but they now have people who've created basically like guns who can be 80 plus feet from people with uh, a RFID tag and they can basically shoot people from afar and capture that signal. Yeah. I, 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 I don't want to totally sidetrack us any more than we already are, but I think this is just a really cool, even though it's evil people doing evil things story. We actually talked about it, I think, on this show. Maybe maybe you talked about it on the Tidewide Tech a long time ago. You know, the the BMWs that have the key fob that you just put in your right. pocket and you can walk up and open the door? Um, that they were, you know, people were making repeaters. And so one guy would be in the parking lot and would watch the guy park his BMW. And then the other guy would follow the guy in the store and stand behind him in line at Starbucks with a repeater on his person that would then broadcast that guy's signal over and... um and the other guy would be standing out in the parking lot. So he'd broadcast that guy's signal to the other guy who'd then walk up to the guy's car and the car would unlock and he'd get in it and crank it and drive off. That's just clever but evil. Yes, indeed. <laughs> clever but evil. Stupid but evil. They end up on the on the Periodic Table podcast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. All right, next in the uh, in the list here, Apple loses another lawsuit against Samsung, and I'm very happy that Apple is losing these spurious lawsuits. I'm I'm happy that Samsung lost their lawsuit against of um, who's that company? Google. These things make me happy. Yes, um, a judge ruled that Apple did in fact infringe upon Samsung's 3G patent associated with the Galaxy Tab um, in the Netherlands, and um, there's a whole big quote in here, but. One of the takeaway from the article is, you know, Apple kind of announced, and I think they actually used the word thermonuclear war against Android makers. And they initially got some victories. How we board, play but, a game? Yes. Um, but now they're starting to lose all of these lawsuits. And so the losses are starting to pile up for Apple. So, you know, you heard the, there was a lot of press like when Apple won the first couple, but, you know, you hardly hear anything about follow-ups where um samsung and i think htc is one some of theirs as well i have to say that i saw the stupidest commercial i've ever seen today on for a oh. samsung samsung phone have you seen the is it the samsung galaxy three something i'm not sure 
Yeah. S3, that's and, a new one. And the whole commercial was about you can touch two phones together and transfer a picture. That was the selling point. So if I, I me and Mark, Mark, we need to buy the same phones. So right. if I happen to take a picture and I have no other way right. to get it to you, I, I, I don't have Google Docs. I don't have Gmail. I don't have a thumb drive. I don't have a USB cable. I don't have any other way to get it you to you. You can't text. And we're in the same room. Right. <laughs> I can touch my phone to yours. And we need to buy the same $600 phone. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it only works it. if you say one to twin powers. <laughs> Shape up a bucket of water. Warm up a polar bear. Golden mist. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Well, that's like there's a uh, an iPhone app, and it's for Android too, called Bump, where you bump phones together and exchanges contact information. Uh, I can. I have had that on my Android phone since I got an Android uh, three years now. Have never found a reasonable time to ever do that. You know, it's it's one of those things that seems like a good idea. It's cool. Hey, I can just bump people and don't have to send information. Yeah, but why would I ever want to do that? And I haven't found a reason so far. Well, and here's the worst part. I tried to use it just because I thought I want to try to use it. I didn't have Wi-Fi turned on. I was not outside with GPS because apparently it uses GPS to find where you're at when you're doing your bump so it knows who you're bumping with. So I did it indoors and it just miserably failed. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was like Freaky Friday, and when you did it, your phone switched SIM cards, and suddenly you were using your phone, your friend's phone number. That would be funny. Well, that'd be an app to write. <laughs> okay. And but next you know, up on the, the list. The important thing is there's a lot of apps. It doesn't matter if they're good or not. You just got to have a right. high app count. Yeah, iPhone is and Android both are, are touting their hundreds of thousands of apps. I wonder how many of those are fart apps. Uh, and how many of them are flashlight apps? So, how many flashlight apps do you need? You need one. That's all that matters. Well, they get the government to write us one. <laughs> I, I had a couple of each when I had an iPhone. Right. And uh, something yeah. I alluded to earlier, uh, Oracle uh, gets paid off, uh, or uh, excuse me, uh, uh, yeah, Oracle gets paid off by Google for their damages uh, for the tidy sum of zero dollars. <laughs> yes. So technically, Oracle won the letter of the law, uh, and they were entitled to a judgment, and the judge said zero dollars. He also said Oracle has to pay all of Google's legal fees. So that didn't quite work out for them. Well, they won, but lost. Exactly. Well, this one judge ruled that apparently that basically APIs can't be copyrighted. Exactly. That's a pretty big deal. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Yeah, and, and well, it, luckily they got that, a geek judge. Well, he um, didn't say that they can't be copyrighted. He said these specific ones cannot be copyrighted. Okay. He was very, very, very clear. You need to let Red Ayn Parnell, the author of this uh, thing, because he didn't know that. And you obviously know. Door to door. This is the kind of people we have on this podcast. We know people. We have people on this podcast that know more about the news than the people who write the news. Well, and, I mean, and the article else. I found is a few days old. So, oh, okay, Seth, he's well, just been listening and, to Google Weekly. Well, <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, here's something else: Google this week does Google. have to pay Oracle money because two weeks earlier they agreed if we win and you guys lose, we're still going to give you a fee, and it's going to equate to something smaller than three hundred thousand dollars. It was just like a good um, chip, like good faith. Yeah. So they are going to have to pay something, but to them, that might as well be nothing. Yeah. All right. Um, when it comes to supercomputers, 
Linux still reigns supreme. The list of the top 500 supercomputers has Linux written all over it. 462 of the world's 500 fastest computers run Linux. Uh, 25 run Unix variations. And you know what? Yeah, no, we lost Seth there. Here, here's my favorite thing. Two of them are running Windows. Two of the top 500 fastest computers in the world are running Windows. Wow. Right. And they're both being paid to run Windows. It's like... Uh, <laughs> One is in <laughs> one is in Bill Gates' house. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and the other is in his summer home. Um, two are running Windows Eleven are using a combination of multiple operating systems in a parallel environment. Interesting. That's very interesting. I wonder how that would technically work. Hmm. Would that be Unix, Linux, and Windows all running in in a coherent um, cluster? I would I guess. I would guess BSD and Linux. Yeah, probably a cluster scenario. Uh, and it's not a single computer, but a cluster of computers. Yeah, Unix, like Linux, Linux. Right. Yeah, BSD, Could Linux, be. Unix, all the, all the way around. We, we're making this up. We don't know. But we're at least as informed as people who don't know anything about computers. And so here's one that's interesting. A bug in the Linux kernel can damage RAID arrays. That's a bad thing. Wow. Yes, uh, it, uh, it is a, it's some weird, like I tried to read about it and you have, your computer has to be turned off, but the software still has to be running. And um, it mainly affects Ubuntu because of whatever version of the kernel they use to ship with um, has caused it. But there's like, a, there's a bug release and then there is a fix for it, but um it only affects RAID code administration via MDA, MD admin. Um, so it, it was just kind of, you know, I like Linux, but Linux isn't perfect. And I just wanted to let people know about that. So, Okay. All right. I hope that doesn't, I, I've got some, well, I don't anymore. My my former employee has some raids running Ubuntu. Uh, I hope that uh, is not a a bad thing, but we'll see. Um, it says it says the bug is only triggered when the raid array is partially assembled, but not yet started when the system is shut down. So oh okay, so that's a very specific set of circumstances. Right. Yeah. And apparently, there's already a fix out for it. If you get too uh, so close with, to it with your Samsung Galaxy S, with your near-field near communication turned on, it'll right. talk to one of the RAID array and try to put your your RAM drive on your phone into the RAID array. And then somebody with a key fob on the other side will get into your car. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, I think uh, that's plenty of news for one show. I think I'm going to relegate the rest of this, unless there's one thing you guys just want to talk about. Is there, is there a story in there you just need to do? <clears throat> Uh, no, not really. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we have here an update on Jupiter. What's that about? Uh, well, we had talked, uh, I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, about a way to kind of increase your uh, battery utilization in a Linux environment with the program, uh, with the application Jupiter. And so I installed it on Linux Mint and I played with it a little bit. Uh, one thing I really liked it. It's kind of 
you know, you can go and you, like, if you're on battery, you want to turn off Wi-Fi, you want to turn off Bluetooth. It's a simple one-click way to do that. Um, one of the things it also gives you the ability to do is to change your screen orientation. So you can do right or left or upside down or whatever. Um, the weird thing is when I chose upside down, my mouse would work right. But if I used my, um, my stylus, my stylus was inverted. And so I had to go get the X input calibrator to calibrate mm -hmm. for my style stylus. And then whenever I put the screen back normal, I had to rerun the calibrator to get the touch screen back functioning correctly. So I just wanted to pass it along because we talked about it a few weeks ago and I was playing around with it and that's kind of what I found out. You know, if you use that X input calibrator, your stylus will remain sharp forever. Anytime it's pulled from the sky. <laughs> Sorry. That's good. It was much it funnier does, in my head. Yeah. It was much funnier in my head. It was it was an Excalibur reference, and I just, I just couldn't get it out in a way that made sense. But. I, you know, what I heard in all of that was blah, 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 not worth the effort. That's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does. It, it, it'll help your battery last longer because, you know, that's one of the knocks against Linux is that it doesn't, su doesn't do such a good job of power management. Uh, and most people don't have a rotating screen on their computers like you know my my netbook right. does so it wouldn't that wouldn't affect them it was just a little quirk that i found out when i was playing around with this so. i used to use uh an old uh well it wasn't old at the time a toshiba uh tablet convertible computer and i wanted to put linux on it but i couldn't uh because that for that when i did uh the uh the tablet features of it didn't work anymore it, it was fine as a computer uh, but it, it didn't do the rotating. It didn't flip over. It was, uh, the, the accelerometer didn't work. And it was a, uh, it was a disappointment that I couldn't use the, my favorite OS on my favorite piece of hardware. Uh, and now, you know, everybody's pretty much abandoned that form factor. And Microsoft is sort of trying to resurrect it with their Surface initiative, but not really. Those are really cool. I, I, I like I had a couple of those that I played around with for a while. And they were they really were the best of both worlds. They're a little heavier than a tablet, but it was nice. You could do either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I had I IBM mine. ThinkPad like 401X or something. I was able to install Ubuntu on it. It rotated, the stylus worked, everything worked, and I got longer battery life. So I guess I got lucky. Wow. Okay. Pick one of those up on eBay. <laughs> okay, moving right along. Gnome's oh. 10 big goals uh, for the coming year, for 2013 14. Uh, is this the official GNOME project for GNOME 3? Um, this It's nothing official uh, from the GNOME project. This was just somebody's uh, take on what he would like to... Uh, it, he kind of went through some of their forums and postings and stuff, and uh, kind of their manifesto, and from their manifesto, he kind of pulled these out and thought they would be good things. So, I, you know, I don't know if it's official or not. I just... Uh, Threw something in there for us to talk about. See what people thought about it. And, you know, and one thing, as we go through these, they're really, you know, you can um, you can substitute Linux in the place of GNOME for a lot of these as well. So it's more of a, uh, a what's the word, a theory show. Okay. So tell us what they are. Okay, well... The number 10, and these are, they're kind of building down, uh, like from least important to most important. Um, the number 10 feature would be to uh, 
have rolling releases, uh, silent updates, and backwards compatibility. So, um, and he says the reason that he puts that last is because it's something he figures to be uh, pretty much already done. Um, but talking about things like extension and auto updates to get those to work kind of more behind the background, seamlessly go, and uh, kind of quit trying to break everything and start over new every time. Which, you know, I think and, what know. a lot of people don't realize is your choice of GNOME or KDE or, or Fluxbox or whatever you're going to use there, uh, for a lot of uh, the interface sort of things, that is your operating system. I mean, we call mm-hmm. it Linux, but Linux is is the, a very small part. You know, as we've, we've mentioned that a number of times before, it's the engine in your car, and uh, the rest of the car is really your desktop is GNOME. So when you talk about uh, rolling releases and silent updates, uh, that's that's big because it's really your entire operating system that we're talking about because you can update the kernel without updating anything else uh and so that's you can update linux without really updating so when gnome says they're going to do that that's basically making your entire os update better yeah right you know but that also scares me when they say silent updates or rolling releases because how many times have you guys been burned by an update coming down the pipe i know my machines have i've been burned a couple of times by some What's what looked like an something that wouldn't be a big deal to install turned out to be a very big deal when it went to after it installed. Like my issue with my laptop with the whole uh, power consumption and not being able to run <coughs> any of the the I haven't tried twelve oh four yet, but any of the current distributions, my laptop just flat out doesn't handle it. Yeah, I'll say. That sounds good in theory, doing the silent updates, but I agree it's going to be really painful for a lot of users because, I mean, you think about it, users go get these extensions and add-ons and these tweaker tools to do all these little special things. I wouldn't be shocked if this silent update comes and makes computer go boom. <laughs> it would also be nice if they took those... Uh, those. I'm not a GNOME user, so I'm going to put my big disclaimer hat on not a gnome guy, but those little extras that th- that people are installing, those extra extensions, there's been a lot of times where they've installed and then an update come down the pipe and killed it. So yep. it'd be better off if they brought those extensions under the gnome hat and then yep. not have that issue anymore. Testify. <laughs> <laughs> I don't what? like I don't like silent updates. I mean it. it in in a very small way, it uh, upsets me when I turn Firefox on and it says Firefox is restarting to uh, um, in, to install the latest update without asking me, you know. And so I, that's one app. If your whole operating system does that, uh, I could see that being uh, pretty darn annoying. Yeah, because you go to turn it on because you got to get this one change, one last change made, but instead. I'm sorry, we're installing an update that will completely rewrite your entire hard drive and take 14 days. And you're like, but I just need to change that one thing. So, yeah. Right. I, I don't Do like you guys that, not use Windows Update? I use Windows Update, but I don't have it set to automatic. Okay. Yeah, I have mine off, and I just occasionally go do it. Yeah. I'll say in like the enterprise, silent automatic updates make a lot of sense. But on my computers... I don't think I want 
automatic silent updates, even on the browser. I agree with Mark. It kind of makes me a little twitchy. I'd much rather get prompted for it. But we're also an odd case here, guys. I mean, think about it. Speak oh, yeah. for yourself. The, the five of us are are an odd are are odd compared to the rest of the world. You know, the rest of the world wants the auto updates. That's why Chrome is becoming such a big popular browser because they don't have to worry about anything. You know, us as IT guys, we're the edge of the of the curtain there when it comes to what we want and what we expect. You know, I just heard about what four of us say that we don't have automatic updates turned on. How many people would you suggest that to? 5%, 2% of their friends that you know that are not computer guys? Testify. Represent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, uh, that makes perfect sense. If you're trying to make Linux the... Um, everyday. Was, yeah, the everyday OS, the granny-approved OS, you have to do some of those things. All right, so at this rate, it's going to take us four days to get through the 10 of these. Uh, so uh, number nine, commercial games and software support. I think that's a given. Everybody wants to do that. Um, number eight. We're seeing that. Right. Uh, number eight, cloud accounts and online services. Uh, they want in um, in desktop integration with things like Dropbox and, and Google Docs and that sort of thing, right? Which Google Drive. Right. Uh, number seven, GNOME API for developers. That sounds interesting. Let's talk about that one for a bit. <clears throat> okay, moving right along. <laughs> number six, a software center. So they want their own GNOME-based software center. That seems a little yeah. ridiculous since we already have uh, the Ubuntu software GNOME. center and, and everybody else has you know their own thing. It seems a little ridiculous to have a GNOME-based one. Yes. Well, it well, could be ridiculous, or it could be genius. Well, most things are either one or the other, and sometimes both at yeah. the same time. We've already established there's a fine line between clever and stupid. <laughs> and yeah, much like that, you don't know till later whether it was. So all right, go ahead, Dor. Look at the snuggie. Now, I was just gonna say I would love it if I could have a single interface, no matter what distribution on. I'm on if it's RPM based, dev based, whatever, and it can install packages. But what I would really like is for them to maybe, I don't know, handle purchases to where I can go from Fedora GNOME interface to Ubuntu with GNOME interface. And my purchase software will seamlessly flow from desktop to desktop and install just fine. But then you're asking to, to have the RPM and devs, either the people that are maintaining those softwares, uh, handle that out for everybody or a unified package which I think would be a great idea if there was a unified but, package that installed cleanly on both RPM or DEB a lot of the issues that we have would go away because like there's some software that are only Ubuntu devs or Ubuntu DEBs files that won't install in anything else other than Ubuntu that also eliminates out the PPAs <coughs> Because now we have this unified package that everyone can use. So yeah, so we'll have a software center just for GNOME, and whatever OS you're on, it'll work fine. Yeah, I just it seems it makes a lot more sense to me to build that into the OS than rather than mm -hmm. have it separate. But I don't well, know. Well, if they do it right, then like Ubuntu could use that instead of their own. But they're not they going get, to. 
Well, I, I, I extremely agree with you, and I personally <laughs> think it, this software center idea is going to be a huge flop, but I like... I, I would like to see what could be possible and if it has any success at all anywhere. Uh, okay, so uh, Software Center, we just did every every detail matters. Uh, yeah, duh. Um, 3D, OpenGL, Open Drivers. That would be nice to have uh, really good OpenGL drivers. Uh, OpenGL is pretty good, but uh, uh, it's getting a little long in the tooth. Yeah. Yeah, um, which is why their number three shows up as Port Gnome to Wayland. Uh, Wayland is the next, the next level of, or the newest level of display manager. Have, has anyone tried it yet? Nope. Not I. I have not. I hear crickets, so I'm going to say definitely not. Um, I've tried. There was a Wayland preview CD that came out for a little bit. Um, I booted it into a little machine, and it did run fairly quick, but it's still. Well, touchy you do realize that still nothing is actually using wayland even that boot cd it's using x but it's using x first and then it as a secondary source it yeah it was using wayland i truly believe wayland's coming but i'm not waiting for it yeah it's like 10 years ago ipv6 was coming and it's still not here so (laughs) well it's starting to roll out now slowly Okay, um, Port Gnome to Wayland. What? We just covered it. Yeah, yeah we just did that. That doesn't make sense. Why would you port Gnome to Wayland? Well, because Gnome by default is using a bunch of XORG stuff. Yeah. Who and, thinks Mark's multitasking? Could geared toward, <laughs> yeah, sorry. XORG. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was, it, it, it just, it just dawned on me what you were talking about. Yeah, I was multitasking. Darn broadcasting stuff. The, a Gnome OS, Really? A GNOME OS? Because we don't have enough operating systems in the world. We don't. Although, I just did say that pretty much GNOME is your OS, and it's just using the Linux kernel. So, they want to build their own kernel? Well, you know, that goes in with the whole GNOME software center. If you're going to have your OS, you need a software center. So, So they want to do their own, their entire own branch off, and I don't know. I don't don't, don't see the point. Well, and, you know, GNOME officially denies the... uh, Gnome OS, but <laughs> digging around their stuff. We can either confirm or deny like, our desire to make an OS. Yeah, it seems like uh, it seems like <clears throat> they're at least kind of planning it or thinking about it. And for number one, I don't like their number one. I think the main thing that Gnome needs to work on is invent a time machine, go back in time, and shoot whoever's idea Gnome three was. That should be <laughs> that should be my number one goal if I were working at Gnome. So. Awesome. I think their number one should be instead of you know going back and killing the gnome guy for gnome three, just make sure they push everyone to KDE and then everyone will be all right. Well, you know, that's what they're I'm, doing now. I'm just gonna I'm gonna have to be the voice of reason here. Uh, the pioneers take the arrows. Everybody always hates what's what's new, right? But you can't continue yeah. to cling to the old. Gnome three had it. to happen. Wayland has to happen. We yep. can't continue with where we are. We can't continue with something built in the eighties. Uh, to get us into the 2050s. Yeah, you know? I'm signed with Linus. Gnome is built for stupid people. Gnome Shell is built for stupid people. They take everything away from users. All they're going to get is stupid users. You know, we're <laughs> Gnome, I I said we're gnome 3. Is, 
Yeah, Where Gnome right, 3 sir. is now, if they had came out with it, it would have been a lot better. Yeah, I agree. Gnome. It's not that Gnome 3 was bad. It's that Gnome 3 was pushed out too soon. Yeah. Yes. So, kind of like, you know, so they just should have waited for Gnome and <coughs> done an internal 3 and came out with Gnome 3.1 and then called it 3 and everybody would have said, okay, this isn't, this doesn't totally suck. So, uh. Well, URL Wallace in the chat room just wants to go on record as saying unity didn't have to happen. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Unity did not happen. I thought we liked GNOME on this show. It sure doesn't seem much like we like GNOME. We used to uh, until I fired up that version of Fedora that had GNOME <laughs> pre-installed. I mean, wasn't and that your big thing about Solus OS was that it was a, a true GNOME desktop? But it was GNOME 2. It was based off GNOME 2. Right. Yeah. The main so, thing about Solus I like is that the desktop is out of your way to where you can get stuff done. And GNOME 3 looks great. Don't get me wrong. It looks fantastic. Let's face but it, guys. To get anything done, it's too hard. We are the digital equivalent of the old man sitting in the, on the porch saying, Get off my lawn! No, That's exactly what we're doing I right now. Change. I thrive for change. I just don't want stuff to be dumbed down. Yeah, go to KDE. Get off. <laughs> Although I don't want yeah. to have to go be to a key, mechanic. Go to KDE and have 57 windows floating that they all have their own control panel. Exactly. I don't want a desktop that's in my way. I don't so you don't like way, Fox News. <laughs> yeah, okay, it's... moving right along. Their number one, a picture is worth a thousand words. I don't even know what that means. Um, all right, next. So They five... just wanted to get GNOME into tablets. So uh, that's the obvious mm-hmm. big, goal of, big goal of GNOME is get into tablets. Why he said a picture is worth a thousand words. Oh, because the picture is of a tablet. Okay, I just now put that together. (laughs) (laughs) Context, people, context. uh, Yeah. In the article, a picture is worth a thousand words. It shows a picture of what, I don't know, whatever, maybe some version of Android. And uh, says that's a big goal of GNOME is to get into tablets. It's an iPad. Is that an iPad? With a big, stupid ah. button, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> okay. that's true. Okay. <laughs> so, GNOME on your iPad. Five common misconceptions about Linux. And one we just talked about. Number one, yeah. Linux is an operating system. Mark, you're telling me Linux isn't an operating system? Then what is it? It is the engine of the car. Not the, um, that's why uh, Richard Stallman, when anytime he does an interview, he ensure he insists that people refer to it as GNU slash Linux, because he says that Linux is uh, taking uh, Linux, as he calls it, is is stealing thunder from uh, the GNU team. That GNU actually is most of the stuff, and uh, you know that that has some truth in it. But the actual GNU part of GNOME is minuscule. So uh, I think the really the better way to do it, do it would be to call it GNOME slash Linux. But he's he wants to get GNU in there. But anyway, um, I digress from my digression. <laughs> Linux is not an operating system. Linux is a kernel, a, a heartbeat. Uh, it's a, it's an internal organ about w- uh, without which no OS uh, no none of the OSs could live, uh, but it is not an operating well, system. It's kind of like Microsoft one. has their NT kernel, and it's right. not really an operating system, but it's what runs the various flavors of Windows. Yeah, so. if there was no uh, Linux kernel, the only thing that would 
we would ever hear about that would still exist is uh, Debian has a version built on the herd kernel, which is the GNU kernel, which I'm not even going to install. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so moving right along. Uh, number two, Linux has terrible driver support. No, it's just the drivers you want that it doesn't have. All the others is fine. Well, well, everything I yeah, want works great. That's what he talks about is that, you know, there are some issues, but for the most part, those issues account for the fringe of the problem rather than the core of the problem. You know, some like weird wireless things, and sometimes you don't get all the full graphics accelerations of graphics, but for but Linux has pretty good driver support. It used to really, really suck, but now it's pretty good. So. I concur. There you go. Awesome. Okay, moving right along. There, uh, number three, there isn't any decent software available. That's just dumb. Is that really a misconception? Do really people think that? Yes. Must be. Yes. Well, people, they don't think that there isn't any uh, good software available, but they people tend to think that what they need isn't available. This so, isn't well, I Microsoft use, I use Word. Microsoft Office. Yeah. I, I use Microsoft Office, so I have to use, the, you know, I have to use Windows or which isn't even true even on a Mac. You can get Microsoft Office for Macintosh. So, I mean, that's just a stupid statement in general. But, but yeah, you know, people, they're, I hear this all the time. Oh, my gosh, I'm so sick of hearing it. All right, number four. So, you know, what I find interesting, I'm, I'm going to hang on to this one just a little bit, okay. uh, is that there's tons of software out there. I guess it's that word decent. People just think it's it's not good. If it's free, it's not good. I hear that all the time. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and there are some things like, GIMP is, it's good, but it's not as good as Adobe Photoshop for editing photos. So now you can do other stuff with it as well, but, and there is some truth to the fact that some of the Linux software isn't polished as pretty as Windows or Mac software is. Uh, editing videos, you know, there's a deficiency still in Linux. You can do it, but it's not as easy um, or as uh, hassle-free as it is in Windows or Mac. So there is some truth but, again, those are more the fringe areas, I think, and not true as a whole. Yeah, the, I hear the, and we've talked about it on this show before, the, the cry often rings out that uh, Linux is imitative and not innovative, and everything is a cheap copy of something else. So I get that. I, I see what that is. All right, number four, Linux has a small market share. Um, and I assume the, the way you fix, turns this from a misconception to a truth is you add the word desktop in there. Yeah. That is correct. Yeah. yeah, it it does, you know, and in the desktop market, which is what most people see, they only see desktop. When they see their smartphone, they don't think OS, they think phone. And, you know, and Android, which is, runs on Linux, has over 50% of the market on that. And then, of course, in servers, it runs, uh, it has a very large market share. Yeah, that um, video over at Alto... University, I think it's called AALTO. It was an hour-long thing, the one where he gave the gesture to NVIDIA. He did say, you know, it, it, I'm really upset at how we have not hit the desktop market like every place else, and it's because we don't have the pre-in-in um, in, um stalls. On the server market, we're doing great. On the embedded market, we're doing fantastic. On the mobile market, we are exploding, but the desktop market will never 
be there until people can genuinely buy a computer and already have it on there. But hey, we're in the drone market too now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Dell, uh, do they still offer uh, Linux machines? I know they did for a while. I'm not sure if they gave up on that or not. They I do, think they it, do. It, they just don't advertise it. Yeah. yeah. Basically, what happened was people thought they were getting just a different version of Linux. Uh, I mean, Windows. Like, this is the Linux version of Windows. There's Windows 98, there's Windows 95, there's Windows NT, there's Windows Vista, and there's Windows Linux. And they didn't know the difference. And they got it, and it's like, well, how do I put Microsoft Office on here? Well, you don't. You put some, and they. I think a lot of people felt like there was a bait and switch that Dell did there because they didn't do a very good job of explaining it. Yeah, yeah that's what I think, too. Lindos. <laughs> no, let's not go Lindos. Lindos is scary. And the number five misconception, Linux is only for developers and computer experts. Like on this show. Like on this show. Like the guys who whine about auto-updates. <laughs> In GNOME 3. The fact is, Linux is every day, GNU slash Linux is every day being designed more and more for the everyday person. And that's why guys like this sit around and uh, have podcasts whining about it. Because we don't like the fact that they're making it for the everyday user. Yeah, that's why yeah, we're changing our podcast to the old I love it. Linux podcast. <laughs> yeah. I just want choice. Yes, we need to change the podcast from everyday Linux to grumbling and complaining Linux. <laughs> <laughs> But that's what we set out to do, right? To do a show for the everyday user. And that's what, you know, Shuttleworth and, and uh, the, the Debian guys, they're all setting out to do that. They want to make Linux for the everyday users. And the only way to make Linux for the everyday users is to piss off the command line godfather and the door-to-door geek. Mm-mm. Not the Debian Ooh. guys. They want to keep everything free. They don't care about usability. They just care about stability and yeah. Okay, so I inappropriately lumped them to the, into the same bucket. But that's certainly what Mandriva and Red Hat and, and what the major players are trying to do. Yeah. No, no other comments on that? You covered it, Mark. Okay. Great job, Mark. Great job. We missed your flair. Well, it's good to be back. <laughs> you know, Mark, you have 15 pieces of flair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What is, that, getting more? what is that from? What is office, it's a movie? Office, office space. space. Yeah. Have okay. you thought about getting more flair? Do you want me to get more flair? Well, I'm not saying you you need to get more flair. Are you? But if you want to, doing the minimum mark. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, I'm not a flair guy. Do my headphones count as flair? Andy, there. He's got 24 pieces of flair. <laughs> okay. Uh, tips of the week. Do we have anything else to say before we move on to tips of the week? Apparently not. Okay. Um, Chris uh, didn't have one. His tip of the week was inviting Door. So, Door, what is your tip of the week this week? Um, well, I'll just say my tip of the week is kind of a go-between between the GUI kid and the command line godfather. This is the Gandhi of Linux <laughs> yeah. applications. Right. This there is will the be meeting peace. of the world. Um, there's a really handy application called a uh, CLI come um come uh, companion which helps users move from the GUI world to the command line world um to be honest I used it when I first got into Linux I found it to be uh 
an easy way for me to at least comprehend what was going on and I could save what I was doing. I could go back and redo it and I could edit what I did in the past and I could re execute it and see what kind of uh, differences that it made. Cool. And I'll so it, it allows you to store basically it's like a, uh, like a, a permanent buffer where you can store command lines and just bring them up and edit them and fire them off again. Is that how it works? Yeah, I kind of think of it like a command module for the command line where you can open it up, save and execute saved. Um, I don't want to say queries. That's what I want to say. Save commands and then execute them later if you want or pull them back up and like edit them again. Uh, I think it made discovery for me at least early on with the command line possible. Mark's going to get to experience something called look it, which is a. Uh the macro builder cache command prompt uh, tool that we use at work where you can, it has a bunch of built-in commands, but you can also save your own macro commands, uh, in it, which is, is, which is handy where you're trying to remember. Now, what is that again? Is it D space E a up carrot percent E R T or is it semicolon I where I saved it? <laughs> oh yeah. Semicolon I that's the way you do it. <laughs> Well, Chris, what's that uh, aliasing tool that you talked about before? Oh, yeah. I Sigourney Weaver? Which one it was. But yeah, there's an alias does the same thing if you wanted to. But aliasing doesn't do kind of like what, door, what this thing does for door. Um, aliasing is taking a, a big command and making it a simple command. So, like, yeah, for me, macro type thing. In my, on my um, Ubuntu server for my Fog system, my apt-get, uh, pseudo apt-get, blah, 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 the whole long thing to do a complete update and, and upgrade of the system. I have that as a simple um, GG. And so I type GG, enter, and it automatically issues that jig, that big, long command. Yeah, this isn't for Chris, trust me. Chris would laugh <laughs> at this. Um, what, what, well, because like Chris already knows, like, how do you enable the firewall from the command line, or how do you disable it? from the command line kind of thing. This is the kind of tool that helps you discover those commands initially. Well, this would be a great tool for me then. Yeah. yeah. From what, from what I'm reading is if, yeah, if you want to try to figure out what commands are, this would be a good thing for you to learn those commands and, and experiment with commands to see what happens. Yeah. Right. Cool. And that's what I did. I was literally experimenting and of course breaking things, but at least I, knew what I did to break it. You know, you're not learning until you break something, right? Amen. Yeah. Represent virtual machines with snapshots. And for all my touting of Chrome earlier in the show, somehow I just closed Chrome. <laughs> I don't know what I clicked. I didn't hit alt F four. I went to click on something and then went bye bye. Oops. It's probably updating to version 15, then version 16, then version 17. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, they actually released three versions since we started this show. Yeah. Okay, Chris, Seth, what is your uh, end user tip of the week? Well, my my end user tip of the week has kind of transformed into Seth's web links. Um, and this one is <laughs> how to survive a <laughs> zombie apocalypse. Mapofthedead.com. Uh, it's pretty cool. If you, it, like, uses Google Maps and it overlays, like, 
you know, hardware stores or sporting goods stores, place you can do. And there's also apparently an iOS and Android game coming out this summer. But I thought it was a, a fun site when I came across it. I pulled up the map and I looked around where I was at the time and it showed you like grocery stores, hardware stores, gas places, things like all the supplies you would need to survive a zombie apocalypse. That's awesome. Mapofthedead.com. Mapofthedead.com. Yeah. What is it with zombies? Zombies, it's, it's like trendy now. I don't get it. Oh, just as Somebody an FYI, needs to mute their hangout. It's me. It's all me. <laughs> Everything that's going crawling. wrong with the show is me. Um, just for those are, that are crossover listeners that may listen to One Mill One Workout and heard us talk about Zombies Run, which is a related app, apparently. Um, the Android app is available now for that, as well as the iPhone version is out. So go get that. And, and you can practice saving, being you know, safe for the apocalypse. Yeah. And it might kind of tie in with The Walking Dead. I uh, I looked at it some, but I'm not that familiar with The Walking Dead to know. Um, but anyway, mapofthedead.com. It was a cool site. I enjoyed looking around in it, and you can too. What makes me laugh, though, cool. is I, I pulled it up into my, my area, but they don't have uh, all the gun stores listed or uh, <laughs> all the people that are gunsmiths listed. So, uh, like, I know about 53 people that are gunsmiths in my town. Um, none of them are listed, and there would be the houses that I would go to if there was a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> well, I you just know, know I'm in trouble because I live on a uh, peninsula. So I, I would have to literally, like, push through, like, over a thousand people to get to where those, <laughs> quote-unquote, good places are at. <laughs> Well, Dor, if you have a problem, you just come on down here to Georgia. We got guns aplenty. <laughs> I think in the event of a zombie apocalypse, my goal will to be uh, to get infected as quickly as possible and just get it over with. It's going to happen eventually. Who wants to live life running from things and cutting heads off and but just just go bite me, uh, infect me, and and then it's just over and then life is good. But first, he's going to get rich with a T-shirt line that says, "Hey, zombie, bite me." <laughs> Well, here's my thing. I look at it as that's going to be my workout routine. That's how I'm going to get in shape. There you go. <laughs> Zombies run. I'm, yeah, but see, now is not now is the time to get in shape. You don't want to wait until the zombie apocalypse to decide no. to get in shape. Yeah. Zombie land. Right Cardio now, is number four on the list. <laughs> yeah. Right now, there's Us a lot of fatties fatter. were the first to go. <laughs> right. Yeah, but there's a lot of people fatter than me that are a lot slower. Yeah, you don't have to be faster than the zombies; just faster than the people behind yeah. you. But in the event of a nuclear winter, those fat guys will be the last ones alive. <laughs> so depending on the apocalypse, you may want to put some extra pounds on. Yeah. Keep the supplies close so you'll know which way it's going to go. <laughs> and then you can either ration them out or bulk up. Exactly. Okay. I, I've got to pull the plug on it. This is getting ridiculous. <laughs> no, this has gotten ridiculous. Um, this is quality Probably radio right here. <laughs> this is what I come back to. I come back to a discussion about the zombie apocalypse. Okay. Um, the pod apocalypse. It Mr. wouldn't have happened without it. you, Mark. It couldn't. That's right. Um, so if you want to uh, uh, make your thoughts known about zombies or anything else, the place to do no that feedback? is at our... Um, what, do we have feedback? Not this week. From me. Oh, yeah, other than you, yeah. Uh Well, do you, I don't have... Uh, did you send an email or something? But I well, I sent an email, but I basically said just 
hit me off on the show so it's not like I'm talking to myself again. Oh, apparently, we have some lead feedback from a listener named Steve. I'll play that now. Ready? Pressing play. Hey, guys. This is Door to Door Geek. Um, I, well, just say the last episode, um, two quickies. Um, at least from everything I understood, Max Fon itself is not a actual browser. It is nothing more than the Chrome that has the IE engine in the back. So you'll never see things specifically geared towards Maxon or see it on different um, operating systems. Maybe they've changed that, but I know back in, in like 2002, 2004, that's all it was. You had to have IE installed, then install Maxon, and then you got a prettier interface. Um, secondly, Solo OS, uh, Solus OS KDE version. I I don't speak for anybody, but I can tell you it will never happen. Um, the whole idea between Solus OS is the, the the actual desktop is completely out of your way, and KDE is not KDE. It, it essentially re um, re um, requires training. To really understand how it expects you to use it and don't get me wrong if you take the time to sit down and learn how to use it i do believe it is probably the most feature risk uh, rich full set of options desktop in existence but that's not the goal with um the um solace os guys they want to keep everything as simple and as out of the way as possible they want you to run applications not to run the desktop. Oh, by the way, Dor, you sent me a, a voicemail about something, but it was entirely unintelligible. You were on your on the car in the car using yeah. speakerphone, and it was <laughs> and it was like two and a half minutes of that. So, yeah. uh, was this what you were talking about, or was that something else? That was for the art of podcast. Oh, okay. Well, we'll have to have you on that show because I have no idea what you were saying. I have an idea. <laughs> you're so prolific. You're you're like the the wild commenter. You you just go move from podcast to podcast, leaving voicemails. Well, if I'm not alive, then I don't comment. You know. <laughs> <laughs> And if you would like to leave a voicemail, how was that for a segue? Wow. Like our good friend, the door to door geek does, you can do that at the phone number is five, five, nine. I am Opie. But if you uh, would, uh, if you're not a phone guy, you're a web guy or girl, and you don't want to do that, you can go to elementopi.com and uh, right up there at the top of the page, there's a leave us a voicemail uh, form. You fill in your phone number. That part's non-optional because we kind of have to have that to call you. You put your name in there. That part's optional. Put whatever you want. And Google Voice will call you and you can leave a message. And as long as you're not in a car on speakerphone, uh, I will hear it and I will uh, put it on the air. So we encourage you to do that and let us know about uh, your thoughts about Linux, about GNOME, about GNU slash Linux, or about zombies. Or and, the studio uh, cam. Or the studio cam. Yeah. Let's, let's show the studio cam. Sit straight. So, studio uh, cam's on me. Yeah, sit straight. Or one, the random uh, piece of paper on the wall behind me. <laughs> one last note. It's been uh, almost a full week since I've consumed any bacon. Um, <gasps> it's just uh, the way it's worked out. I haven't had access to bacon, and I'm really beginning to feel uh, weak and, and delirious. So please send bacon fast. Bacon off uh, of a cheeseburger. Stat. 
<laughs> you can also uh, send us an email at edl at elementop.com. You can't email Beaten Bacon. Sorry. That would be awesome yeah. if you could. Um, and Or Twitter or Facebook. Just find us there. Type in Element and OP together and you will find us. So uh, we will do that. Uh, that's how you can contact us. Uh, guys, anything else before I pull the plug? I got a shout out for my little brother, Andy. Thanks for being a listener. There you go. He's been begging me for like three weeks to do it. So there's your shout out, Andy. Oh, while we're on that, let me do a little begging of my own. Forums, by the way. Go to go to Element. uh, Excuse me. Go to uh, uh, Everyday Linux and in iTunes. Even if you're not an iTunes user, just load it up for this one time, uh, and go and leave us a rating and/or a comment. Uh, we need as many of those as possible to get the attention of the good folks over at iTunes so that they can feature us and, and that we will show up higher in search. So that is my, my command. I command the Element OP Army to go ye therefore and comment. Go forth and rate us. Yes. It's good to be back with you, everybody. Uh, I don't know if I'll be back next week. I will try. Uh, but if I'm not, I can guarantee you I will be thinking about you all. I appreciate the uh, uh, good words that I've had from the community, the emails and the comments of people wishing me well as I uh, go about this life change that I've, I'm going through. And I, uh, I, I honestly uh, uh, appreciate that. And there's a heartfelt thanks for that. And uh, on that note, which I think is a middle C... I will say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. <laughs> <laughs>